Ho, ho, my name's James Pikeway, and welcome to day 13 of public speaking in the summer, my summer class. What did we do on day 13? You know what? We listened to some Sarah Kay. We listened to some Elizabeth Gilbert. We listened to some Reeves. We were talking about motivation. We were talking about voice. We were talking about flow. We were talking about stories. We're talking about bringing your audience in. It was awesome. I got to say, full marks to Reeves for his speech. It was was excellent. You're going to want to go to the notes, see which one I'm talking about. And of course, you're going to want to listen to this lecture. It was kind of fun. This is Public Speaking in the Summer with me, James Pikeway. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to day 13. So we are almost, we're, we're, really, we're really at the final bits of this course. We have one speech left, and that's, that's a big one. It's 30%, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you now, do not let up your guard on practicing and things, because... The things that I'm talking about are really important. That's that's pausing. That's the timing. That's the linkage of your ideas, those transitions. You're getting there. You're, all, you're In fact, everyone is really working on those pieces, but it's really, really, really important as you you head into your last your last uh, your your last speech because you want to make sure that you've got everything working absolutely to plan and and it's really important so don't don't let up don't think ah i've got this i did great at my last speech i did okay on my last speech i'm happy with what i did do not let up because it is very possible for your mark to go down and you do not want to do that you want to put in that spectacular effort right up to the end and really really push it and that's something that i i've seen uh, over and over again as students get to the last speech, they're just not, they just, they just kind of figure I'm going to be able to do it. And it's, it's the little things it's, and I'll tell you the, the one little thing that is huge. So the one little thing that is huge is a presentation sounding like you're reading it or a presentation that you're doing sounding like a term paper. You don't want to do that. A term paper is a C paper, you know, a C presentation. You just, don't want to do that. You want this final talk to be that talk that makes everyone go, wow, I know Fatma, I know Maha, I know Shama, and wow, you, you want Maha to give you your, your applause. And I think that's, we, we want to do this demonstration for our fellow students to show them how spectacular we are and how far we've come in this course. And it, I mean, five weeks, you, you've all done this in lightning speed and it is tough. And the tough part, I mean, look, speaking's not tough. Generally, you all talk and generally you all speak with friends, with family, at the mall, if you're going there, on the phone, on WhatsApp, on TikTok, on and on and on and on. Talking's not the problem. The problem is when you get in front of a group, you put on the speaking voice. We put on the speaking voice 
And you don't want it. Your speaking voice needs to be the same voice that you're always using. You want people to listen to you. You want people to dive in and go, hey, I want to listen to her. No one likes to be lectured. And so this is, this is the challenge. You got one speech left, four minutes, and you can make this, uh, you can make this happen. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, good morning, everyone. How, it's, anyone uh, have any great news about anything that happened on the weekend that you want to share? Anything? Anything going on? Asma, Hind, Aisha, Aya, great to see you, Aya, Bakita, Hind, Maha, Ur, Fatma. Anyone have anything great on the weekend? Anything to share? Anything went well? Any news? Nothing. Maha, something. You must have something. Did you watch a TV show? Did you fall asleep in front of the TV? Did you make a great cake? Fatma, nothing. Really? How... How is that possible that there could be nothing at all? I stayed home and watched Modern Family. I watched the last Modern Family. Mm. Yeah, it was a sad day. A very sad day, but oh well. Yeah, you know what? Watching TV, watching... That's kind of like my normal day, right? The, the evening finishes with some kind of show and it's it's usually they're just bad so okay i watched after oh what's what's after hind what's afterlife what's afterlife a great show what's what's it about it's a show on netflix and i highly recommend it if you want a good cry oh it's what is it one of those shows yeah so so give me give me the the basic idea so is it is it about like people come back after and revisit the people that they knew before they died that kind of thing no 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 it's actually it's a story about a guy that lost his wife to to cancer Uh and you just you get you get to see how he's Uh feeling and how he's living and it's really good really interesting the emotions the behind the the behind the the scenes stuff that we all we think we think everyone's got the perfect life but then you see behind the scenes and you realize they're all messed up and what's going on in their life. Okay, cool. Yeah. After All right, good. Well, well, we'll give that a look. Anyone else got any good shows? Anything good going on? Anyone do any cooking? Fatma's got us all excited about cooking. Where, who's the smoothie lady? Where's my smoothie person? Who was the smoothie person? I forget who, who that was. Who, and, and we had some other cooking folks. Anyone cook anything? Anyone try cooking? Matha was the smoothie person. Oh, Atia as well. Okay. Did, did we, did we, anyone cook anything? Anyone try cooking something new? Get a recipe? Nothing? Yeah. Tacos. Ooh, that sounds good. I, everyone likes tacos. I love tacos. Maha hates cooking. It's, you know, that Jamie Oliver video. You got to be able to, you got to know how to do some basic stuff. Uh, <laughs> It's amazing the people you meet cooking. Uh, who did who did I I was at the fruit and vegetable market because I do my fruit and veg shop once a week. And uh oh, it was it's funny because I always see the same people over and over and over again at the fruit and vegetable market at the time that I go. And then I switch times. So because I don't know anyone's names, I just give them all nicknames, right? And including the the Emirati folks that I I see all the time, and I have no idea who they are, and we just kind of nod. You know, you do the nod because you see the person. And so uh, this this one guy who I see all the time, who but I change time so I don't see him all the time. I call him Ben Affleck, like the Batman dude. 
you know Ben Affleck? Everyone knows Ben Affleck, you know, Batman. So anyway, I call him Ben Affleck because he looks like Ben Affleck with a Candora on. And and so uh, there, I've, I've been wondering what's going on with Ben Affleck because I haven't seen him in a long time because I changed times. And then I saw him at Murder City Center. This guy's shouting out, hello, hello, hello. And I'm looking, I'm going, what have I done? And then I realized, I put two and two together, there's him and his wife. And I always, I always thought it was funny, Ben Affleck and his wife, Catwoman, uh, that it, I always thought it was funny because it would be early. We would go, we would go shopping at, at the fruit and veg market, some ridiculous hour, right? Like eight o'clock in the morning, seven thirty in the morning, on a on a Saturday, or was it a Friday? No, it was a Saturday. And we'd go shopping at this ridiculous hour, and there would be Ben Affleck and Catwoman, and Catwoman always this phenomenal makeup job, but I mean not not over the top, but just clearly took some time. So I always thought it was kind of kind of. I always wanted to ask her about her makeup and and stuff, but we never did. But then I see them at the mall. So there we go. And, and the reason I bring that up, because there is a reason, I was, just didn't want to talk to you about Ben Affleck and Catwoman, who I think are from Sharjah. Who knows? I mean, I don't know where they live. But I saw their car had Sharjah plates, and they buy an enormous amount of fruit and vegetables. It's like, I don't know. They must be feeding like a whole block of people. Anyway, the reason I bring up the fruit and veg market is there I was last week at the fruit and vegetable market. I'm buying this Romanesco, which is kind of a cross between a cauliflower and a broccoli. It's green and it's kind of pointy, but it looks like a cauliflower, but it's green and pointy. And the guys who sell it to me are looking at me and they're looking at the Romanesco and they're going, yo, Romanesco, put it in. They give it the way and they buy it. And the guy looks at me and then asks, he goes, how do you eat this thing? So the guys who are there say, how do you cook it? What do you do? So we gave them some cooking lessons right there at the fruit and veg market. So that was kind of fun. And they, I guess they're going to try it because maybe they get the fruit and veg free. So yeah. Anyway, that was my weekend. Um, this weekend, same as yours. Yeah. Made a, made a new cake. The, uh, a pie actually creamsicle cheese pie. Do you know what creamsicles are? If you ever see Google it, it's like a, an ice cream that's orange kind of flavored creamsicle. And uh, so we made a pie, a creamsicle pie. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's all. So good to see so many of you here. We've got one. This is it. We've got three classes. One of those classes being your final speech. Has anyone been thinking? Uh, oh, the other thing is, got my other, my, got one, another pair of glasses. Uh, these, these, are, these are beauties, these, these glasses. Take a look at that. Get my hair out of the way. But take a look at that. Do you know what these glasses are made out of? Anyone have any idea what these glasses are made out of? They're wood. But does anyone have any idea what the wood was used for? Because it's recycled wood. Does anyone have any idea what these, these suckers were made from? Look at that. Skateboards. You know those skateboards everyone gets? Those wooden skateboards? These are made from skateboards that have been broken. So they've even got, you know, this one, look, look at this thing. It's even got a little, it's got a little notch in it from who knows what. It's got coloring on it from the skateboard sides. Yeah, nice, huh? Yeah, you never know what the cool stuff you can find. So I got those sorted out this weekend. What else? My place? Pretty, oh, I stirred my composters. <laughs> Four distinct bad smells from each of the composters, all different because they're at different degrees of decomposting kind of cool kind of cool all turns into black earth in the end but boy in the middle of it goes from 
okay smelling to bad smelling to okay smelling to bad smelling to okay smelling. So, yeah, life is, life is interesting. So the point of this being, the point of this being, everyone has something in their life that's interesting. And there's always something, even if it's, hey, I watched a new TV show. Hey, I, I watched, uh, I watched my cat play with something. Oh, oh, I, I took a look at some birds. Oh, I went for a walk around the block. And when I went for a walk around the block, I went by the bin. And when I went by the bin, I saw this chest of drawers. And when I saw the chest of drawers, I stopped there because it reminded me of my grandmother's chest of drawers. And that grandmother's chest of drawers was the chest of drawers I always played with. And when I played with them once, I pulled out the drawer, it fell on my foot and I broke my foot. And then I had to go to the hospital. It wrecked the Friday morning, afternoon brunch. And you see, everyone's got a story and something reminds us of something and everyone's got something to say. Your job is when people say, hey, what, what went on this weekend? Think of something. Think of that one little thing and say, oh, you know, I did this. Everything that we think, you and I think, is boring, is not boring to everyone else. You put it in context. You describe it. People relate to it. You know, you say, hey, I made tacos. Someone's saying, I hate cooking, but tell me about the tacos. I like, you might, we might hate cooking, but we love eating. So tell me about the tacos. You know, was it was it you know all from scratch? Did you use a package for the seasoning? Did you put avocado on it? How were the avocados? Did you, you know, the list goes on and on. So there's always something to talk about, and and that's and that's the key, right? Because we're social folks, so we want to think about that. All right, so let's let's jump in. Let's get ourselves going here. It is day thirteen, which is kind of kind of awesome because it means that you you're 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 at the end and i think that's kind of cool i mean it's sad because the class is over but it's cool because truly as you start listening back to yourself and you start listening to where you were from day one to where you are today there's a lot of a lot of changes happened and and it's your job to just keep that going to keep working on it to keep making it better and you can and that's the, that's the best part. You can. So where are we going? You remember and you know that your last speech, the theme is dream, do, be. It's a motivational speech. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to motivate people. You're trying to make them feel excited. You're trying to make them feel happy. You're trying to make them you know, just listen to something that makes them go, huh, I can do that. And I wanted you to give a listen to the Elizabeth Gilbert speech. And we're, we're, I'm going to put a little bit of it on so that we can, and hopefully it does work because I didn't test it today. The So, hold on a sec here. So I want, to, I want us to watch a little bit of Elizabeth Gilbert simply because this speech, while it's informative, is also really kind of motivational about the whole idea that you and I can be creative and we don't need to beat ourselves up about that creativity. It's like, what if you wake up and you just don't feel creative? And what if you're, you're just tired? And, and it sort of gives us another view of things. It kind of excites us a little bit. And part of that excitement is from the, the fact that what she does as she structures this very long speech, you know, it's almost 20 minutes long, so that's a good long speech. But as she structures it, it, it has a beginning, it has a middle with examples and stories, and it has an end, it has a conclusion. What this is built on, and this is, again, a great example when people say, well, what, how should I talk about? Tell your story. What do you need to do? So you remember, you need an introduction, you need a conclusion, you need the middle part, you need to transition, 
and you need to drag us there. And I literally drag us through your speech. And as you're dragging us through your speech, you want to make sure we know what's going on. So pause, repeat things, emphasize things, tell us where we're going. Answer our questions because you know that we're forming them in our head. So answer them, build them into your speech as you, you're crafting this package. Stories work well, but I'll tell you the big, big thing that you've all got to really concentrate on. And even some of you do this well, but you, you, you do another thing that, that is a problem. So the number one thing you all have to think about is sounding like you're actually talking with people. Don't give me the term paper. I don't want to hear the term paper and I don't want you to sound like you're reading or reciting the memorized term paper to me. Clear giveaways are the words we use in term papers are seldom ever the words we use when we talk to people about things. We just don't do it. And when we talk to people, we have a flow. We pause, we laugh, we smile, we get expressions on our face. When we read a term paper, we sound like we're reading a term paper. No one wants that. It's not, it's not motivational. It's, it's, it's distressing, if anything. Maybe it's even it's demotivating because it's like, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to. So you, you want, you, you're creating. Remember, 90% of what you're doing is the package, how you're presenting it. 10% is that, that core content that you're giving us. So you really, really want to work on that. This talk with Elizabeth Gilbert I really like, and I, as I've told some of you, maybe I've told all of you, and, we, and I don't think I showed any of this in class, but if I did, we're going to watch a little bit of it again. This talk is important because she's just talking with us. So let's watch the first part and listen to it just a little bit. And I want you to think about things that she does well, and I like the voice, but there are things that she does horribly that annoy me to no end. And so you want to look at those things as well. So let's just watch the first couple minutes to get a sense of where this is going. I am a writer. Writing books is my profession, but it's more than that, of course. It is also my great lifelong love and fascination. And I don't expect that that's ever going to change. But that said, um, something kind of peculiar has happened recently in my life and in my career, which has caused me to have to sort of recalibrate my whole relationship with this work. And um, the peculiar thing is that I recently wrote this book, this memoir called Eat, Pray, Love, um, which decidedly, unlike any of my previous books, um, went out in the world for some reason and became this big mega sensation international bestseller thing. The result of which is that everywhere I go now, people treat me like I'm doomed. Um, seriously, doomed, doomed. Like, they come up to me now, like, all worried, and they say, aren't you afraid? Um, aren't you afraid you're never going to be able to top that? Um, aren't you afraid you're going to keep writing for your whole life, and you're never again going to create a book that anybody in the world cares about at all, ever, again? So that's reassuring, you know. Um, uh, but it would be worse, except for that I, I happen to remember that over 20 years ago, when I first started telling people when I was a teenager that I wanted to be a writer, I was met with this same kind of sort of fear-based reaction, and people would say, aren't you afraid you're never going to have any success? Aren't you afraid the humiliation of rejection will kill you? Aren't you afraid that you're going to work your whole life at this craft and nothing's ever going to come of it and you're going to die on a scrap heap of broken dreams with your mouth filled with bitter ash of failure? <laughs> like that, you know? And... Um, I, I, the answer, short answer to all those questions is yes. 
Um, yes, I'm afraid of all those things. And I always have been. And I'm afraid of many, many more things besides that you know, people can't even guess at, like um, seaweed and, and other things that are scary. But when it comes to writing, um, the, the thing that I've been sort of thinking about lately and wondering about lately is why. You know, is it rational? Is it logical that um, anybody should be expected to be afraid of the work that they feel they were put on this earth to do? You know, um, and what is it specifically about creative ventures that seems to make us really nervous about each other's mental health in a way that other careers kind of don't do? You know. Um, um, like my dad, for example, was a chemical engineer, and um, I don't recall once in his 40 years of chemical engineering anybody asking him if he was afraid to be a chemical engineer. You know, it just didn't come, like, get chemical engineering block, John, you know, how's it going? And um, <laughs> it, it just didn't come up like that, you know, but... So, so we, we just had an opportunity to listen to the first little bit of Elizabeth Gilbert's speech, and, and she keeps reinforcing, what is she talking about? She's talking about her craft. She's talking about the fear of being a creative. So what, what is something that she does in that talk? And I don't want you to just write it in on the, the, the comments. I want you to turn on your microphone and, and talk to us. It's a public speaking class. We want to hear our voices. But what's one lesson from that talk, that, the little bit that we just watched, that you don't want to do? What's one thing that she does over and over and over again that you do not want to do? And, and for the most part, you don't do it anymore. What does she do? That's annoying. Who wants to jump in? Think about that talk that we just heard the first part of. What does she do that is annoying? Really, really annoying. Maha, do you want to jump in? What is um, it? Yeah. Um, That's it. The way she That's reads. what she does. That's what yeah, she. Yeah, and she says a lot of ums. Doesn't she? Over and um and um and um. It's like, give it up, lady. Come on. Why are you doing that? You've got such great content. Just pause. So she could be really nervous, and and there's a whole bunch of reasons. But that's that's one thing. What's what's another thing she does that's not really spoken? And again, I'll, I'm saying this now, when we get back on campus, even if we have to do it in a couple of groups, we will have a master class on the physical part of presenting because that's a huge issue that we all have to deal with. What else does she do that's kind of annoying, that's not with words? Uh, she moves a lot. Doesn't she? You don't want to do that. I mean, it's, 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 it's really important when you're presenting, and that's you, you nailed it, that you do want to move your hands and things, but slowly, nothing happens fast. And you don't want to keep moving around a room. And I know if you do, you move slowly. And the reason you do that is because our eyes are tracking. And as you move, the eyes don't just look at you. They look at everything around. And so you're distracting from what you're saying. Because as soon as you start taking in everything else, there's these messages that are being now sent to you that you're trying to decode. Hey, what's that on the wall? What's that poster say? Oh, what's behind there? What's going on with that light? Oh, someone just walked by the doorway. So you're, and then at that moment, that becomes the noise that distracts you from what's being said. So you do everything slowly. What does she, what does she do that's kind of interesting though? So we've got, she uses way too many ums and she moves around a lot. Again, both of those probably because she's pretty nervous. When you, when you look at, there's, you know, 4,000 people sitting in front of her and, and, you know, I can tell you right now, I don't think she uses that. She doesn't use any PowerPoints. It's just her 
on a stage. Does she have any notes in her hands? Notes? Does it sound like she's reading it? Aya, is she reading it? Does it sound read? No. No. So this this is important. It, it, it could be, and I'm pretty sure this is a well-rehearsed speech and something that she's done over and over and over again. You, you really want to work at that at that that presenting of it so that it kind of feels conversational as maha says yeah she, she clearly she's nervous there's no i mean i'd be nervous i mean yeah you're standing in front of a whole bunch of world leaders in their fields and there you are telling your stories let's let me fast forward it a little bit because it it's it's all good gin at nine o'clock in the morning and <laughs> You know, I don't want to go there. You know, I would prefer to keep doing this work that I love. And so the question becomes how, you know? And, and so it seems to me upon a lot of reflection that, that the way that I have to work now in order to continue writing is that I have to create some sort of protective psychological construct, right? I have to sort of find some way to have a, a safe distance, you know, between me as... Two words she also... So she does um, and this is really important... Often, once we get rid of the ums and the ahs, we add new words. Right and you know become the two other words she uses all the time. Right? You know? Right? You know? And she just puts them in. So she'll be talking about, I have to create this construct, you know? And I've got to do this thing, right? I've got to, and it just happens. But what I love about this talk is it really does have that personal feel to it. I mean, it's, she's talking with the audience. She's not lecturing us. As I am writing, and my very natural anxiety about what the reaction to that writing is going to be from now on. And, and as I've been looking over the last year for like models for how to do that, I've been sort of looking across time, and I've been trying to find like other societies to see if they might have had better and saner ideas than we have about how to help um, creative people sort of manage the inherent emotional risks of, um, of creativity. And that search has led me to ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Um, so stay with me because it does circle around back. But um, ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So, in, and there, she, there we go, right? She's, she's telling stories and now she's going to go into a second part and she's going to give some history. And she tells me, hold on, it's going to cycle back. So bear with me. I like the tone of her voice. It's it's a spoken tone. Even though there's some heavy-duty stuff in there, she's speaking with us, and that really becomes important. And that's your number one thing you all need to make sure you're doing is you're speaking with us, not at us. Don't read the term paper. Second thing, some of you are, are getting really good at this, and there are a few of you who are well, well on your way there. You have another problem. And this is the same problem that everyone needs to work on. So we get really relaxed. And as soon as we're, we're going to go on, hey, you know what? I can do this. I, I, can, I can present and I can sound like I'm talking to people. Then we start to speed it up a little bit. And we, we add two new challenges. And so everyone needs to work at making sure that we sound like we're the, the, the normal conversation, the normal things, that little bit of a laugh, having some fun, and then get back to it. And, and what she's doing, as you see, she's talking, she talks low, she talks a little bit faster, she, she laughs a little bit, she tells a story, she's got all this vocal variety going on. A normal, everyday conversation. But, one, got to make sure you pause between your points. Ladies, so not only do you want to sound like you're having this conversation with 
the rest of the class. You need to pause at the end of your points just a little bit so that people know that we're going to the next thing. But not only do you pause to break the chain of ideas, you need to connect it. You need to say, so for instance, you might, you might say, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. So what does that tell us? That could be the lead into what do we know about a situation or, or something. Why do we care? Boom, another lead. So you've paused. You might, so why, why does this matter to you? Another pause. And that's another way. You, what, why does this matter to you is the lead into the next thing. So you've got to be thinking, okay, not only do I have to sound like I'm, I'm having this conversation with you with content, I need to make sure that it's very clear in your head. And I know you're all smart, but I'm going to treat you like you're not. I need to make sure that you know when I've stopped from one point and when I'm going to the next point and I need to make it very clear I'm pulling you through so that you know what's going on and you know that I've changed areas and you know that it's it's going to be the next little bit and I want to do it elegantly. I don't want to do it sort of my second point, my third point, my fourth point. So, yeah, you can do that. It's boring and it, it's, 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 doing the, it's doing the job, but it's not elegant. It's not elegant. It's a C. You want to be elegant. You want it to be, so why do we care? What do we know? There's all sorts of ways to do it. And you, you want to play with that. The key is that there's a pause, little, just a little pause, and that you're, you're, you're taking us through to that next logical phase. Third, when we're doing that, and this is, this is the hard one for all of us, is do not assume that anyone's going to follow how everything you're doing is connecting together. Tell us how it connects. Give us those examples. Tell people how it connects. Draw that, as I said before, draw that picture for them. Yes, it makes sense to you. Yes, it should make sense to your audience, but there's a lot going on in their heads. So make it easy for them, but do it in a, a fun, elegant, you know, refined way so that they can follow along with the stories. And that's, that's where you're at. That's the challenge. And that's, that's your last speech is you've got all the bits and you know what the bits are. Now you've got to really make them work and follow the instructions. And, I, and I'm telling you that the biggest challenge we've got is in five weeks, in five short weeks, you've been forced to kind of take off the ZU presentation code and put on the new U presentation code or the, the presentation Abaya of ZU that you've, that you've grown into and you're now taking that off and you're putting on the new U presentation Abaya. That's tough because there's a lot of doubt. Well, is it really going to work like this? Does it really work? This isn't what people want, et cetera. And I'm telling you, if unless people are telling you exactly how they want the presentation, it is free game for you to give them the best presentation in the world. And as I keep showing you with these, these TED presentations, millions of people watching them, they are with, with celebrities, they're with non-celebrities, they're with scientists, and they're following a similar pattern to the pattern that we've been putting forward, as well as talking about things like presentations, visuals, ladies, one idea per slide. That's it. One image, one thing, one idea. That's it. That's it. If you start putting two, three, that is not acceptable. That's old ZU. We don't do ZU. We do the new U. We do 
TED quality. If you're not doing TED quality, what are you doing? What are you doing? If it's good for TED, it's good for you. Second, when you start looking at the presentations that I've, I've been showing you, you're thinking, how are they talking? How are they putting it together? How are they flowing things together? How are they getting to the conclusion? All of these talks that I've, I've keep putting up, they're not randos. I'm not randomly just going into TED and finding something, say, oh, you got to watch this one. They're all talks for a reason. And there's all portions of those talks that you want to emulate, that you want to use as your example. When students, students say, do you have an example? Like, yeah, I want your PowerPoint to be like that. I want your talk to be like that. Mark Bezos, that's the talk. I love that guy's talk. Right at the very beginning, the fireman suit, that's the talk. I want you to do it like him. I want you to do your talk like Sarah Kay, which we're going to look at in a second. I want you to think about the visuals like Graham Hill. And that was the guy with the the space. I want you to think about Matt Coots. That's the guy, try something new for a month. All those visuals work. All those presentations, presentation styles work. That's what you're aiming at. Not ZU. You don't do ZU anymore. You leave ZU for the ZU students who haven't taken a course that's actually trying to make them better, and you now move forward. And, and I, I mean, you can, it's a head game because you can all do it. Everyone can do it, but you got to get your head around it, and that is tough. And, and just practice. Just pra- Ladies, it's practicing, practicing, and you need to be honest with yourself. You need to film yourself when you're practicing. You need to record it. You need to listen to it, and you need to be brutally honest. Is this awesome, or can I tweak it still a little bit more? Keep doing it till you've till you've you've just you've knocked it out of the park until it's you know what this is this is pure gold, and we all know when we hit pure gold, you know it as well as I do. You know it. And that's what you're aiming for, and it's 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 it's, it's not hard. Let me just back this up here. So as we're, we're looking at, oh, where did all this go? <laughs> as we're looking at all of these, these things, and as we're playing through the different ideas, what really becomes useful to think about as you're putting together your presentations for Dream Do Be, we, you want to be thinking ultimately in the power of the story. And your stories, remember, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to share with people? What, what is the purpose of your speech? You're trying to motivate them. You're trying to excite them. You're trying to make them. But, so what, what, are you, what are you going to talk about? What's the title? What is, what is the story about? How does it all connect together? Remember, you're talking with us. You don't want to read it. You, you, stories are important. Examples are important. But your stories are important. You want to use examples that connect with your audience. So we had some great examples in our last set of speeches that, that people talked about different people and different things happening in different places. And, and I'm sure they're all really cool, but they, they, I don't know how they connected to us. And it was kind of weird. You know, and there was one of the speeches kept referring to some guy. And I'm, so I'm not going to go into it. You, you remember. But I'm like, who is that guy? Who is this lady? And why do I care? It, it, it just, they didn't, it, it kind of like, yeah, they're great and they work, but who are they and how do they fit with the audience? You need to keep flow, the, the flow of your talks going. Flow is so important. And that is, 
thinking about how does point because remember every speech is planned you're you've constructed this masterful tool to say something so that people you know if it's a persuasive speech then that persuasive speech is is trying to activate something persuade them to do something if it's an informative speech you're giving them some information if it's a, a motivational speech is going to have information and ultimately you want to actuate in them this this kind of good feeling or something that makes them think hey i can actually do this so it's the the motivational speech has elements of persuasive it has elements of informative and it has all of the same stuff beginning middle end connections introduction conclusion examples it all follows that same pattern over and over and over again remember and i'm going to say this again remember no term paper reading i don't want to hear a term paper and this is really a challenge because the way we write and the way we talk are different i mean it's 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 a reality ladies the way you write something and then read it versus the way you write something that you've said to speak is different. I don't want to hear a term paper. I want to hear you connecting with me, connecting with the audience with your topic. I want to play a little bit of Sarah Kay for us. Now, there's two things going on with Sarah Kay. The so first thing is I, I, why I want to play this is... Remember, as we're looking at what we're doing here and how all of this is coming together, and and you're thinking about, well, what are the pieces that I'm trying to that I'm I'm trying to to put together? Remember, ninety percent is your presentation. It's how you're presenting. It's your features. It's your face. It's your vocal variety. And she starts off her talk with a poem. That's what she does. I mean, and, and her, her role, her thing, her gig is she's a performance poet, which means she does stand-up poetry. This is one of, her, one of her famous poems that she's doing at the start. And I like it because it embodies the show. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch the poem. Then we're going to watch her start talking. And I want you to pay attention to the vocal variety. I want you to pay attention to the show on how it gets our attention. The fact that it doesn't sound like a memorized paper. The sound, the, the fact that it has all these elements that keep us engaged. Engagement is the key. You want people to feel that you are talking individually to them as you give them this nice, planned, and well-executed thing. So let's, let's take a quick look at the first part of this talk see where it's going so remember the first part of her speech is a performance poem she's performing a poem if i should have a daughter Instead of mom, she's going to call me point B. Because that way she knows that no matter what happens, at least she can always find her way to me. And I'm going to paint the solar systems on the backs of her hands. So she has to learn the entire universe before she can say, oh, I know that like the back of my hand. And she's going to learn that this life will hit you 
hard in the face, wait for you to get back up just so it can kick you in the stomach. But getting the wind knocked out of you is the only way to remind your lungs how much they like the taste of air. There is hurt here that cannot be fixed by band-aids or poetry. So the first time she realizes that Wonder Woman isn't coming, I'll make sure she knows she doesn't have to wear the cape all by herself. Because no matter how wide you stretch your fingers, your hands will always be too small to catch all the pain you want to heal. Believe me, I've tried. And baby, I'll tell her, don't keep your nose up in the air like that. I know that trick. I've done it a million times. You're just smelling for smoke, so you can follow the trail back to a burning house so you can find the boy who lost everything in the fire to see if you can save him. Or else, find the boy who lit the fire in the first place to see if you can change him. But I know she will anyway, so instead, I'll always keep an extra supply of chocolate and rain boots nearby because there is no heartbreak that chocolate can't fix. Okay, there's a few heartbreaks that chocolate can't fix, but that's what the rain boots are for because rain will wash away everything if you let it. I want her to look at the world through the underside of a glass-bottomed boat, to look through a microscope at the galaxies that exist on the pinpoint of a human mind because that's the way my mom taught me, that there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, my mama said. When you open your hands to catch, I'll wind up with only blisters and bruises. When you step out of the phone booth and try to fly, and the very people you want to save are the ones standing on your cape. When your boots will fill with rain and you'll be up to your knees in disappointment, and those are the very days you have all the more reason to say thank you. Because there's nothing more beautiful than the way the ocean refuses to stop kissing the shoreline, no matter how many times it's sent away. You will put the wind in winsome lose some. You will put the star in starting over and over. And no matter how many landmines erupt in a minute, be sure your mind lands on the beauty of this funny place called life. And yes, on a scale from one to over-trusting, I am pretty damn naive. But I want her to know that this world is made out of sugar. It can crumble so easily, but don't be afraid to stick your tongue out and taste it. Baby, I'll tell her, remember your mama is a worrier and your papa is a warrior and you are the girl with small hands and big eyes who never stops asking for more. Remember that good things come in threes and so do bad things and always apologize when you've done something wrong, but don't you ever apologize for the way your eyes refuse to stop shining. Your voice is small, but don't ever stop singing. And when they finally hand you heartache, when they slip war and hatred under your door and offer you handouts on street corners of cynicism and defeat, you tell them that they really ought to meet your mother. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, wait for it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right, so I want you to take a moment and I want you to think of three things that you know to be true. They can be about whatever you want. Technology, entertainment, design, your family, what you had for breakfast. The only rule is don't think too hard. Okay, ready? Go. Okay. So here are three things I know to be true. I know that Jean-Luc Godard was right when he said that a good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, although not necessarily in that order. 
I know that I am incredibly nervous and excited to be up here, which is greatly inhibiting my ability to keep it cool. And I know that I have been waiting all week to tell this joke. Why was the scarecrow invited to TED? Because he was outstanding in his field. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so these are three things I know to be true. But there are plenty of things that I have trouble understanding. So I write poems to figure things out. Sometimes the only way I know how to work through something is by writing a poem. And sometimes I get to the end of the poem and look back and go, oh, that's what this is all about. And sometimes I get to the end of the poem and haven't solved anything, but at least I have a new poem out of it. Spoken word poetry is the art of performance poetry. I tell people it involves creating poetry that doesn't just want to sit on paper, that something about it demands it be heard out loud or witnessed in person. When I was a freshman in high school, I was a live wire of nervous hormones. <laughs> and so we're going to pause it for a second. We're going to listen to a little bit more. I love Sarah Kay, A, because I, I, I love performance poetry, and I just think she embodies that so well but the other thing that i really like about her presentation is i like the way she's delivering it i like the sound that is her voice and the way she's talking to you and the way she's talking to me she did her poem and she had her way and but it's very close to the way she actually talks and the way she's presenting to this audience and what becomes interesting, and we're going to get back to it now, is, is the role of that story in allowing the audience to feel a part of, of you. So let's listen to a little bit more. Over excitable, and despite my fear of ever being looked at for too long, I was fascinated by the idea of spoken word poetry. I felt that my two secret loves, poetry and theater, had come together and had a baby a baby I needed to get to know, so I decided to give it a try. My first spoken word poem, packed with all the wisdom of a 14-year-old, was about the injustice of being seen as unfeminine. The poem was very indignant and mainly exaggerated, but the only spoken word poetry that I had seen up until that point. So in that little piece there, you see she put on that show and she talked about, I did the spoken word poetry, about, and she gets very kind of, the, the anjou, the anger in her voice and her face changes and then she sounds and then she puts her smile back on and she becomes her vocal variety. She's changing it up as she's going. Really important. And these stories that you're using to exemplify what you're talking about become super, super important, ladies. That's what drags the audience through. But a combination of explaining things to us, linking it up and and the way you talk is how you keep the audience flowing through your talk as well. It was mainly indignant, so I thought that that's what was expected of me. The first time that I performed, the audience of teenagers hooted and hollered their sympathy, and when I came off stage, I was shaking. I felt this tap on my shoulder, and I turned around to see this giant girl in a hoodie sweatshirt emerge from the crowd. She was maybe eight feet tall and looked like she could beat me up with one hand, but instead she just nodded at me and said, hey... I really felt that, thanks. And lightning struck. I was, I was hooked. I discovered this bar on Manhattan's Lower East Side that hosted a weekly poetry open mic, and my bewildered but supportive parents took me to soak in every ounce of spoken word that I could. I was the youngest person there by 
at least a decade. But somehow, the poets at the Bowery Poetry Club didn't seem bothered by the 14-year-old wandering about. In fact, they welcomed me. And it was here, listening to these poets share their stories, that I learned that spoken word poetry didn't have to be indignant. It could be fun or painful or serious or silly. The Bowery Poetry Club became my classroom and my home. And the poets who performed encouraged me to share my stories as well. Never mind the fact that I was 14. They told me, write about being 14. So I did, and stood amazed every week when these brilliant, grown-up poets laughed with me and groaned their sympathy and clapped and told me, hey, I really felt that too. Now, I can divide my spoken word journey into three steps. Step one was the moment I said, I can. I can do this. And that was thanks to a girl in a hoodie. Step two was the moment I said, I will. I will continue. I love spoken word. I will keep coming back week after week. And step three began when I realized that I didn't have to write poems that were indignant if that's not what I was. There were things that were specific to me. And the more that I focused on those things, the weirder my poetry got, but the more that it felt like mine. It's not just the adage, write what you know. It's about... This, this becomes an interesting piece. So she's talking, she's telling her story. Look at the faces of everyone. They're looking up, they're looking at her, they're taking in the story. Do you think they care about spoken word poetry and her spoken word poetry? Maybe, but I doubt it. But look at their faces. They're totally engaged. And again, that's the power of your vocal variety, the pausing. She laughs every now and then. Speak like yourself. It becomes so important. The talk goes on, and she does she does more of this, and, and it's really, really a nice talk. And it, it, I, I think it's a great motivational on talking about why you do something, and she kind of sums it up. And, and then she talks about where she took it a little bit further and how she started something and how she's helping other kids. And, you know, she's a lot older now. This is, what, 2011. So it, it's, it's just a really, really good story. And it leads us right into this guy, and we're going to come back to to do a little exercise in a second. But this is this is one of my this is just a, a, a another great poem by a performance poet who's not doing performance poetry, but he's talking about a topic, and it link he links it all back up. And again, it's voice. You he uses images. It's telling a story. It's engaging us. That's what you're trying to do. Let's see if we can get a little bit of this one to play. The most romantic thing to ever happen to me online started out the way most things do, without me and not online. On December 10th, 1896, the man on the medal, Alfred Nobel, died. 100 years later, exactly, actually, December 10th, 1996, this charming lady, Wisława Szymborska, won the Nobel Prize for Literature. She's a Polish poet. She's a big deal, obviously, but back in 96, I thought I had never heard of her. And when I checked out... What's the first thing we notice about Reeves? What's the first thing you notice when he's talking? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone notice anything when he's talking? What do you notice? On December 10th, 1896, the man on the medal, Alfred Nobel, died. 
100 years later, exactly, actually, December 10th, what do you notice about him talking? this charming lady, Wisława Szymborska, won the Nobel Prize for Literature. She's a Polish poet. What do we notice about Reeves as he's talking? Anyone? Anyone? What do we notice? What do we notice? First thing, what do you notice about him as he's talking? What's the sound like? What's his, what's his voice sound like? Same with Sarah Kay. What's, what, 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 what do they both do as they're talking? Anybody? What do they both do as they're talking? Maha, Hend, Fatma, Shama, Taya, Aya, Ur, Bakita, Miriam. What do they both do as they're talking? What do both of these... They have expression on their face. They're smiling. They're smiling as they're talking. Their voices sound inviting because they're happy about what they're talking about. Second thing you notice with Reeves, he's used already two PowerPoint slides. Are there any words? No. He puts up the images, explains it. That's it. Masterclass in how to use PowerPoint. Masterclass in how to use PowerPoint. That's the way to do it. Let's keep going. She's a big deal, obviously, but back in 96, I thought I had Look never at the smile. Her. And when I checked out her work, I found this sweet little poem, Four in the Morning. The hour from night to day, the hour from side to side, the hour for those past 30, and it goes on. But as soon as I read this poem, I fell for it hard. So hard, I suspected we must have met somewhere before. Had I shared an elevator ride with this poem, did I flirt with this poem in a coffee shop somewhere? I could not place it, and it bugged me. And then in the coming week or two, I would just be watching an old movie, and this would happen. Well, you should have come to the face party. We didn't get home till around 4 in the morning. My roommates would have the TV on, and this would happen. Oh, boy. I was up to 4 in the morning watching that Omen trilogy. Mm. Be listening to music, and this would happen. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. So you can see what was going on, right? Obviously, the master class in how to use video in a talk. Don't do the one-minute YouTube videos. Short, sweet, and they connect with what you're talking about. They exemplify what you're talking about. You intro it, you outro it, and you keep going. Remember the number one thing about a talk. Okay, yes, you want to make sure it sounds conversational. He's doing that. He's talking to a crowd. But you also... You also, also, also do not want to let your audio visual overtake you. You're the talk, not them. Keeps going though. Look at that smile. Listen to his voice. Ladies, listen to the pace. Listen to the enunciation. He keeps pulling us through. It's four o'clock in the morning. Did he meet this poem somewhere? It's four o'clock. What's going on here? The demigods of coincidence were just messing with me. Some people get a number stuck in their head. You may recognize a certain name or a tune. Some people get nothing, but four in the morning was in me now but mildly, like a groin injury. <laughs> I always assumed it would just go away on its own eventually, and I never talked about it with anybody. But it did not, and I totally did. In 2007, I was invited to speak at TED for the second time, and since I was still an authority on nothing, I thought, what if 
I made a multimedia presentation on a topic so niche it is actually inconsequential or actually cockamamie. So my talk had some of my four-in-the-morning examples, but it also had examples from my fellow TED speakers that year. I found four-in-the-morning in a novel by Isabella Allende. I found a really great one in the autobiography of Bill Clinton. I found a couple in the work of Matt Groening, although Matt Groening told me later that he could not make my talk because it was a morning session and I gather that he is not an early riser. However... <laughs> Had Matt been there, he would have seen this mock conspiracy theory that was unfreaking canny for me to assemble. It was totally contrived just for that room, just for that moment. That's how we did it in the pre-TED.com days. It was fun. That was pretty much it. When I got home, though, the emails started coming in from people who had seen the talk live, beginning with, and this is still my favorite, Here's another one for your collection. It's the friends you can call up at 4 a.m. that matter. The sentiment is Marlena Dietrich. The email itself was from another very sexy European type, TED curator Chris Anderson. (laughs) Chris found this quote on a coffee cup or something, and I'm thinking this man is the typhoid Mary of ideas worth spreading, and I have infected him. I am contagious, which was confirmed less than a week later when a Hallmark employee scanned and sent an actual greeting card with that same quotation. As a bonus, she hooked me up with a second one they make. It says, just knowing I can call you at four in the morning if I need to makes me not really need to, which I love because together these are like, Hallmark, when you care enough to send the very best twice, phrased slightly differently. I... I was not surprised at the Tedster and New Yorker magazine overlap. A bunch of people sent me this when it came out. It's 4 a.m. Maybe you'd sleep better if you bought some crap. I was surprised at the Tedster Rugrats overlap. More than one person sent me this. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Why on earth are you making chocolate pudding? Because I've lost control of my life. And then there was the lone Tedster who was disgruntled. I had overlooked what he considers to be a classic. So that's Close Encounters, and the main characters all worked up because aliens momentously have chosen to show themselves to Earthlings at four in the morning, which does make that a very solid example. Those were all really solid examples. They did not get me any closer to understanding why I thought I recognized this one particular poem, but they followed the pattern. They played along, right? Four in the morning as this scapegoat hour when all these dramatic occurrences allegedly occur. Maybe this was some kind of cliche that had never been taxonomized before. Maybe I was on the trail of a new meme or something. Just when things, you know, getting pretty interesting, things got really interesting. TED.com launched later that year with a bunch of videos from past talks, including mine, and I started receiving four-in-the-morning citations from what seemed like every time zone on the planet. Much of it was content I never would have found on my own if I was looking for it, and I was not. I don't know anybody with juvenile diabetes. I probably would have missed the booklet grilled cheese at 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I do not subscribe to Crochet Today magazine, although it looks delightful. (laughs) Take note of those clock ends. This is a college student's suggestion for what a 4 in the morning gang sign should look like. People sent me magazine ads. They took photographs in grocery stores. I got a ton of graphic novels and comics. A lot of good quality work, too. The Sandman, Watchmen. There's a very cute example here from Calvin and Hobbes. In fact, the oldest citation anybody sent in was from a cartoon from the Stone Age. Take a look. Like uh, how early? Like at 4 a.m. That's how early. 
And the flip side of the timeline, this is from the 31st century. A thousand years from now, people are still doing this. The time is 4 a.m. I chose a spectrum. I received so many songs, TV shows, movies, like from dismal to famous, I could give you a four-hour playlist. If I just stick to modern male movie stars, I keep it to the length of about a commercial. Here's your sampler. What time is it? Four o'clock. It's 4 a.m. It's like four. Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning. I'm afraid it's the witch. Four a.m. Four o'clock. Four o'clock in the morning. Four in the morning. It's 4 a.m. We're supposed to be back here at four o'clock. Four o'clock if we're bored. We don't return here until four o'clock. Oh, 400, 4 a.m. Four o'clock if it's four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. So... Somewhere along the line, I realized I have a hobby I didn't know I wanted. And it is crowdsourced. But I was also thinking what you might be thinking, which is really, couldn't you do this with any hour of the day? First of all, you are not getting clips like that about four in the afternoon. Secondly, I did a little research. You know, I was kind of interested. If this is confirmation bias, there is so much confirmation, I am biased. Literature probably shows it best. There are a couple three in the mornings in Shakespeare, there's a five in the morning, there are seven four in the mornings, and they're all very dire. In measure for measure, it's the call time for the executioner. Tolstoy gives Napoleon insomnia at four in the morning, right before battle, in War and Peace. Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre's got kind of a pivotal four in the morning, as does Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights. Lolita has a creepy four in the morning. Huckleberry Finn has one in dialect. Someone sent in H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man. Someone else sent in Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. The Great Gatsby spends the last four in the morning of his life waiting for a lover who never shows. And the most famous wake-up in literature, perhaps, The Metamorphosis. First paragraph, main character wakes up transformed into a giant cockroach. But we already know, you know, Cockroach notwithstanding, something is up with this guy. Why? His alarm is set for 4 o'clock in the morning. What kind of person would do that? <laughs> this kind of person would do that. Top of the hour, time for the morning news. But of course, there is no news yet. Everyone's still asleep in their comfy, comfy beds. <laughs> Exactly. So that's Lucy from the Peanuts, Mommy Dearest, Rocky, first day of training, Nelson Mandela, first day in office, and Bart Simpson, which combined with the cockroach would give you one hell of a dinner party and gives me yet another category, people waking up in my big old database. Just imagine that your friends and your family have heard that you collect, say, stuffed polar bears, and they send them to you. Even if you don't really... Okay, I'm just going to pause for a minute because I know some of you are falling asleep, but... What becomes interesting here is, A, it's very conversational, but B, where are his notes? We're looking at, this is 14 minutes of talk. He's nine minutes in. Where are the notes? Exactly. How much practice has this guy done for this speech? Well, I can tell you, he practices and practices and practices until it sounds like that. This is the guy that'll do the practice on one leg with the TV playing until he gets it right. But let's keep going because remember, he's gone into his different sections. He's, he's moving forward. He's getting into the conclusion. And remember, what's it all about? 4 a.m., that, that, how did this get in his head, that poem that he thinks... He's heard before. 
And then it just led him to this whole thing about 4 a.m. certain point, you totally collect stuffed polar bears, and your collection is probably pretty kick-ass. And when I got to that point, I embraced it. I got my curator on. I started fact-checking, downloading, illegally screen-grabbing. I started archiving. My hobby had become a habit, and my habit gave me possibly the world's most eclectic Netflix queue. At one point, it went, Guys and Dolls the Musical, Last Tango in Paris, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Porn Star, Legend of Ron Jeremy. Why Porn Star, Legend of Ron Jeremy? Because someone told me I would find this clip there. I was born in Flushing, Queens on March uh, 12, 1953, 4 o'clock in the morning. Of course he was. Yeah. Not only does it seem to make sense, it also answers the question, what do Ron Jeremy and Simone de Beauvoir have in common? Simone de Beauvoir begins her entire autobiography with the sentence, I was born at 4 o'clock in the morning, which I had because someone else had emailed it to me. And when they did, I had another bump up in my intrigue for this because porn star Ron Jeremy and feminist Simone de Beauvoir are not just different people. They are different people that have this thing connecting them. And I did not know if that is trivia or knowledge or inadvertent expertise, but I did wonder, is there maybe a cooler way to do this? So last October in... Gentleman scholar tradition. I put the entire collection online as Museum of Four in the Morning. You can click on that red refresh button. It will take you at random to one of hundreds of snippets that are in the collection. Here is a knockout poem by Billy Collins called Forgetfulness. No wonder you rise in the middle of the night to look up the date of a famous battle in a book on war. No wonder the moon in the window seems to have drifted out of a love poem that you used to know by heart. So the first hour of this project was satisfying. A Bollywood actor sang a line on a DVD in a cafe half a globe away. A teenager made an Instagram video of it and sent it to me, a stranger. Less than a week later, though, I received a little bit of grace. I received a poignant tweet. It was brief. It just said, Reminds me of an ancient mixtape. The name was a pseudonym, actually, or a pseudo-pseudonym. As soon as I saw the initials and the profile pic, I knew immediately. My whole body knew immediately who this was, and I knew immediately what mixtape she was talking about. LD was my college romance. This is in the early 90s. I was an undergrad. She was a grad student in the library sciences department. Not the kind of librarian that takes her glasses off, lets her hair down suddenly. She's smoking hot. She was already smoking hot. She was super dorky. And we had a December-May romance, meaning we started dating in December. And by May, she had graduated and became my one that got away. But her mixtape did not get away. I have kept this mixtape in a box with notes and postcards, not just from LD, from my life, but for decades. It's the kind of box where if I have a girlfriend, I tend to hide it from her, and if I had a wife, I'm sure I would share it with her, but the story (laughs) with this mixtape is there are seven songs per side, but no song titles. Instead, LD has used the U.S. Library of Congress classification system, including page numbers, to leave me clues. When I got this mixtape, I put it in my cassette player, I took it to the campus library, her library. I found 14 books on the shelves. I remember bringing them all to my favorite corner table, and I read poems, 
paired to songs like food to wine. Paired, I can tell you, like saddle shoes to a cobalt blue vintage cotton dress. I did this again last October. I'm sitting there. I got new earbuds, old Walkman. I realized this is just the kind of extravagance I used to take for granted even when I was extravagant. And then I thought, good for him. PG is Slavic literature. 7,000 series is Polish literature. Z9A24 is a collection of 70 poems. Page 31 is Wisława Czemborska's poem paired with Paul Simon's Peace Like a River. So I, I love that, that speech because it goes right back to the start when he says, I've heard that poem before. How do I know that poem? And he can't remember. And then through all these stories, and, and Hind, Hind, Hind was talking to me. And Hind, do you mind if I share this? You don't even know what I'm going to share. But Hind, and, and many of you might be saying, hey, when I'm going to do a speech like this, do I need credibility? I don't need to have sources. I don't he had tons of sources in there as he was talking about different things coming from different movies and different places, Simone de Beauvoir. And he was talking again, you know, you want to be thinking about credibility and how do you add credibility to what you're doing? But the wrap up right to the very end, that ladies is an epic speech delivery, full marks, planning, full marks, use of audiovisual, full marks, Reeves nails that. Reeves gets the A. <laughs> it's, it's, you're, this is what we're striving for. This is what we're trying to do. How do we keep it conversational? How do we keep it ironic? How do we keep it fun to listen to? Does anyone care about that topic? No. What's, what's it talk about? Things in our lives connect. There's all these connections. It's all around us embody it, embrace it, take it in. Things that happened in our past, they're going to come back to remind you later on. What goes around will come around. People keep in touch. This is is a great talk. Maybe a motivational talk. He's talking about himself. So you want to be thinking about all these things as they come together. That becomes that important part. That becomes the piece you're thinking about. How do I keep it all linked? How do I use my voice? How do I keep that story tied together? Remember, you're only doing this for four minutes, but it is the four best minutes of this class that you're going to give me. And you're, you're linking it around this story. Solid introduction, solid conclusion. Not just that summary statement at the end. Okay, and this is, so that's why you need to, I don't want the summary statement. I want the whole thing. I want you to frame your talk. Clear introduction, clear conclusion, three points with examples that are linked and that logically transition to each other. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're, we're playing with. I have a question at this point. Do I have any, any questions, observations, thoughts, things? The power of speaking with a little bit of expression on our faces. Speed, slowing down. Did he do one and, um, or but? Hmm. Did he have it written down somewhere? 
Mm-mm. Now, he might have had some cue cards in front of him somewhere. He practiced that thing. He knew the flow. He knew where it was going. He's constantly looking at his audience. He's loving it. It's a show. He's taking the show in. That's your job. Questions, 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 anything. Anything. Do we have anything at this point? No. Hmm. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you five minutes to prepare this. Five minutes. That's all you get. Five minutes for a 30-second talk. You're going to do a 30-seconder in five minutes. And what I want you to talk about for 30 seconds is I want you to talk about your telephone. For 30 seconds, I want you to tell me why you like your phone. I want you to tell me how this phone is part of your life. I want you to tell me what you don't like about your phone. I want you to tell me about the worst moment with your phone, the best moment with your phone. For 30 seconds, I want you to talk about your phone, but I need a conclusion and not just, and that's my phone. I need a conclusion. I need you to wrap it together and make it work. So we're going we're gonna to kick off at 2 minutes after 11, 30 seconds, and you're going to talk to us about your phone. So I'm going to kick you all out, and then we're going to jump right back in in uh, at, at two minutes after 11, maybe three, maybe five, five minutes after 11. So I'll give you a five-minute break so you can go to the toilet, go get some water, and we're going to come back at five minutes after 11, and you're going to talk for 30 seconds about your mobile phone. And i got to show you this one. This is my, my favorite. You see, did, you, did you notice the new shirt? It's very nice. But look, i got a face mask that matches the shirt. Shirt and mask to match. Awesomeness if, you gotta, if you're going to have awesome shirts. And look at that shirt. Look at that shirt. It's the same material. Look at that shirt. Look, look at that. Sunglasses in the sun. That's Dubai. Shirt, mask, life is good. All right. We're coming back at five minutes after 10, and you're going to talk about your phone. I don't know what you're going to say about your phone, but you're going to talk about your phone, how you love it how your phone makes your life complete. Five minutes, we're going to be back, and you're going to talk for 30 seconds. All right, I'm going to kick you out. We're going to see you in a moment. Five minutes time. You're going to talk about your phone for 30 seconds, beginning, middle, and an end. And I'm interested in your voice. All right, see you in five minutes. You have been listening to Public Speaking in the Summer, day 13. It's all about the the little nitty-gritty of doing a speech want to find out more about me you want to find out more about what we're doing in the course www.jamesed.com or follow me across the socials at the james cast one more class coming up day 14 you're gonna love it this is public speaking in the summer with me james pikeaway